0: Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. McKee gets it in the middle. They play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew! Holiday. shot clock down to six, finds Warren. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, colleague and friend, Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, we are post-trade deadline, finally, which means we have a ton to talk about because the Pacers were extremely active and and kind of centered around a lot of what went on during uh, the last few days. But I mean, before we get in, how are you? Did you survive? Uh, What is your headspace coming into today?
1: Doing well. I feel like I need to use the nerdiest reference because it seems like we are now Frodo and we finally delivered <laughs> the, the One Ring to Mordor. Like I feel like we're finally to the other side of carrying that burden, Mark.
0: Oh God, I hope so. Um. So yeah, I mean, I I actually really dig that reference. I I woke up this morning. I was like, I really want to watch Return of the King today. Um. That also would mean that I'd have to have time to watch Return of the King, which I don't. But I don't know. I'll try and make it work somehow. I have a lot to catch up on, but. Um, I mean, where do we want to start off here? Because there is just so much that we have to sift through, uh, as we get through this podcast.
1: Well, we already started and covered Karis going to the Cavs. So maybe we just start off with what reactions were when, um, Sabonis and Jeremy and Justin got traded to Sacramento for Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. I mean, what was your thought process? We haven't talked yet. So what was, what were you thinking when that trade came through?
0: Uh, well... I mean, we, we, we'd talked about this before, both on and off air. Like, you know, it was clear that not that Sabonis was off the table, but that it was going to be very difficult for a team to actually make the move for him because of how much the Pacers were asking for. So I thought it was possible that Domas would get traded, but um, I mean, if you'd asked me, I, I would have told you immediately, like, yeah, I mean, he's going to be here past the deadline. Miles is going to get traded because they do have to make a move. Um, When I saw that notification pop up on my phone, I had to check and make sure it was real because I uh, I was like Tyrese Halliburton is traded. Like I, I, you know, he had been mentioned as you know potential uh, potentially in uh, Ben Simmons packages when the Kings were talking with the Sixers. Eventually, the Kings quote unquote just you know kind of dropped off with the Sixers as uh, Daryl Morey kept raising his stakes on that. So I just like I did not have any impression that Tyrese Albert was actually available. Um, I, I think there's a lot of ways to look at it. Number one, um, I mean, we'll talk about Tyrese more in depth. You wrote an awesome article about him that echoes a lot of my thoughts after watch, having watched him play the last year and a half. Um, but, I mean, it, it definitely just took me by surprise. I think that's that's my my biggest reaction. Like, I suppose any trade is going to take you by surprise just when it actually does happen. but that trade at that time like not even you know with a day before the deadline even happened or two days before the deadline even happened i was not ready for it
1: i was i was very surprised as well i mean i told you before we got on air and i won't go into complete detail but just talking to some various people from other markets around the league even before that came through um that was a little bit of whiplash i agree with you like from everything we were hearing it seemed like you know depending upon what the situation with Miles's foot was that Sabonis would probably at least be here until the offseason and, and see what they might be able to get if there was more offers. And we had talked about before, too, that, you know, what our personal thresholds were that if you were going to be trading the team's best player and needed to be for, you know, either somebody who already currently is you know, capable of being a number one option or could develop into that or be better than Sabonis. So to see them throw in Halliburton, I was very surprised that he was going to be on the table from the Kings. But from what I understand from various people, you know, Chatter in the NBA is that there were very few teams that knew that Tyrese Halliburton was even available, which doesn't mean that, you know, you couldn't have called and asked the Kings, but um, the Kings were very motivated to go for Sabonis, and and that's obviously why they were willing to up the ante and go there because the Pacers, um, I believe it was reported by Sam Amick, said that they weren't very moved by De'Aaron Fox, but um, I, we both recorded a podcast on that, and I think our opinions both differed on Halliburton versus Fox. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah, that, that we weren't totally um, – overwhelmed by the idea of De'Aaron Fox either, but um, much preferred Tyrese is what I'm meaning.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think at that time too, we were like, you know, we just didn't expect that to be part of it uh, or to be a thing.
1: No, I didn't even think it would be a possibility.
0: No, exactly. Um, I mean, I think just to dive into the actual valuation of the trade, um, I, I mean, to me, I thought this was about as good of a package as the Pacers could possibly get for DeMontis bonus. Like I, I mean, we, we'd always talked about how, if, if he was traded, you know, the, the common lingo has been like the, similar to the Vucevic trade. So like they got Wendell Carter Jr. and two firsts, if I remember correctly. So, okay. I think you envision getting a young player and, and, and draft compensation. And I mean, I would say pretty easily that, Tyrese Halliburton is an even more valuable young player than Wendell. I love Wendell though. Don't get me wrong, especially anybody who wears goggles in the NBA gets an A plus grade for me. But um, I mean, I think it's pretty simple to say like, I mean, Tyrese is one of the mo- most promising young players in the NBA. So um, I think, you know, considering that the Pacers didn't get any draft compensation back, if I remember correctly, I might be looking at it wrong. I think that's how it, how it went down. Yeah. Um, I mean, I felt, that this was like in terms of valuation, I felt this was perfectly fine or I mean better than I even expected.
1: Yeah, which is I'm sure why they were willing to jump on it and move now versus waiting to the summer. I mean, my overall thought on waiting to the summer was that, you know, teams, because of what type of players the bonuses, there might've been more teams that would have got involved because, you know, they know how their seasons go. They can plan their roster around it a little bit more, but the Kings I know are under some pressure to get back to the play in tournament and have some success. And, um, clearly we're willing to put, push the chip in there. So yeah, I don't, I don't think the Pacers could have done a lot better with what they needed to do. And it was almost like over the last month of, you know, pitchforks being out from the front office, it was probably worth it to just wait and see what they did first.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, and I will say too, I I just hope people realize Domas is a really good player. I went on a Kings pod, I wrote a couple of things about it too. Like I I would not want to be the team giving up Tyrese Halliburton, but like you mentioned, I don't think Monty McNair has the uh, that the president of basketball ops there. Uh, I don't he does not have time on his side. So I, I do under like as far as making this move, I get it for them. Um, I'm really intrigued by the Fox Domas fit. It was really fun to watch them in the first game against the Kings. Um, I mean, I guess the Kings against the against the Wolves. Uh, did you watch that game or did you did you see Domas suited up? Because it is a uh, I saw I think it was James Ham from uh, NBC Sports Sacramento. Um, he posted the original picture of of Domas at chew around in a Kings jersey. And I was like, holy shit. Like it, it was it's just it was kind of surreal after watching every single game. Domas has played in the last um couple things but I mean last couple years so it was just it was it was weird
1: yeah I didn't watch it um definitely surreal to see him in a different uniform I think that the one big difference is and I know everybody was clowning the kings for making that trade and and having very uh visceral opinions and reactions to it but first of all like Sabonis so has been doing what he's doing all year and he hasn't had shooters here either. I mean you and I have pointed that out for yeah, I don't know how many podcasts and he's never had a point of attack defender like Davian Mitchell to play with the entire time he's been in Indiana. I understand concerns with Rashawn Holmes. I don't think there is probably enough shooting on the roster. I'm not sure I completely understand the fit there and I thought they might go ahead and flip and move him yeah, meaning Holmes before the deadline and they didn't but The difference being is, I mean, and I don't want to, you know, open up old wounds, but the Kings giving up Tyrese Halliburton are going to be very motivated to try to get that roster to work around what De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis are. And I don't really think that's been the case here in Indiana over the last year and a half. I mean, they have not wanted to admit he's their best player. They did not refer to him as a star in an article. So... I don't think that's going to be the way that things transpire for him in Sacramento. Unfortunately for him, he's going to go from an environment, at least narrative-wise, where he's been getting compared and kind of downplayed because of his defense and whatever else around Miles Turner and just the overall contentiousness that's been unnecessary because they've had two bigs on the roster from an external standpoint. I'm not referring to Miles and Sabonis with that. And now he's going to go to an environment where everybody thinks that the trade that brought him there is stupid. So I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of gotchas waiting around the corner, but I agree with you. I don't, I think that he's a very, very good player who doesn't get credit for the many small things that he does in enough different ways. And that it doesn't surprise me at all that he shows up in the very first game that he plays in a King's uniform with no practice time and no time to build and gel with his new teammates and puts up 22, 10 and five in a game. After he had just flown to that new city, because that's just, you know, we've seen it time and time again where he shows up and, you know, plays continues to play in the fourth quarter on a bad ankle continues to produce so I hope that he has and and gets some of the attention that he deserves out there in Sacramento and that it does go well, even though I don't completely understand it from their perspective, but yeah, um, enjoyed covering Sabonis certainly he was a very fun writing topic,
0: most definitely. Um, well let's talk about your, your newest writing topic uh, Tyrese Halliburton um, I I just want to just to fill people in because I, I I know you watch some college stuff when when uh, more of the draft is coming around but um, in following Tyrese for a while uh, his sto- like I don't love just like hyping up stories because it can be uh, a little overzealous at times but I don't know that anybody has uh, had such an a linear growth curve as someone like Tyrese Halberton, um, which is part of what's so intriguing and alluring about him. I mean, he went from a guy who was not an ESPN or RSCI top 100 guy um, to playing on a pretty good Iowa State team, but he was a bench player. You know, coming off the bench, I think he averaged single digit points, like six six points a game uh, his his freshman year. Um, to taking this massive leap, uh, becoming a primary ball handler in Iowa State. His sophomore year, just absolutely exploding onto the scene, going into the draft, um, kind of, not not kind of, I mean, completely blew everyone's expectations out of the water. His rookie year, towards the end of the year, I think there was an eight-game stretch where he operated as a point guard because Aaron Fox was out with injury before Tyrese and going out with injury too after that game stretch, but showed – more ability to create without ball screens, even if it's not perfect, but like just showing things that had frankly never been part of his game before and continue to do some more of that this year as he, as he operated even more on ball as as an off the dribble shooter, like he automatically walks in and is the best shooter on the Pacers probably like just about, Um, I mean, obviously be a mix between him and Duarte. It depends, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that. But um, I just think like in terms of looking at a way that a guy is growing and developing, I think that's something that the Pacers definitely bought into and saw stock in and uh, they're intrigued to see what they can get out of him. Like I will dive more into what we think about his potential and, and whatnot, but um, yeah, he is incredibly, incredibly enticing. And you wrote about his feel too. Like he is kind of uh, like I, to say he's Sabonis bonus in a six, five is the wrong way to put it, but like he has that kind of uh, just encompassing omniscient court vision and ability to, To spot things and see things steps ahead and um, just a tremendous playmaker. So uh, I'll turn it over to you. I mean, what are you excited about with Tyrese coming over?
1: Right. And I think that that's I mean, people have asked me a lot of times over the last two years, you know, if if they move miles or if they move Sabonis, what type of player are they going to need? And if they move Sabonis, like you mentioned, you're going to need a player like some of the stuff you'll see from Tyrese, where he can set up the pick and roll in a way where some of the stuff that Sabonis does isn't going to show up as much um, because he does so much with, you know, eye manipulation and pass fakes. They can kind of shift shift and shimmy, help defenders that will make it easier to, to find rollers or to find Isaiah Jackson with lob passes and whatnot like that. Um, and because what he does as a shooter, I mean, I really wanted to point that out in the article that I wrote because I've noticed in games, like, I vividly remember that game in Denver where. I always think a lot of Michael Malone when they play when the Nuggets play the Pacers because it feels like he does a lot. I mean, this is true of the Knicks too, where it feels like the Nuggets and the Knicks very much treat regular season games more like playoff games and their preparation and their scouting of what opponents do. So they came out very forcefully against Brogdon in that game and were weaking him, which means that if there's a high middle ball screen, you're shading that guy to the left, pushing him away from the screens from Sabonis. And it really bothered Brogdon because he has so much trouble gathering still and going to his left as a shooter. And then I also mentioned in the article when Karis Levert um, recently, when they were in Oklahoma city and they put Lou Dort on ball and he was ducking under everything, how much that disrupted the offense in both of those two games. And when you have somebody like Tyrese Halliburton who, where the read is just automatic that he's going to stop and pop and he isn't bothered going to his left in that setting, how much more that opens up. Plus like what you're mentioning in terms of self-creation, self-creation threes, Um, I think that he could stand to probably be a little bit more selfish and maybe in this environment he could be where he can be a little bit more differential, but when you have somebody who can score as efficiently in isolation as he can, and you're going to have more spacing with he and Duarte, assuming that, you know, Duarte's shot continues to progress, that then your ability, your your need for interior switching isn't quite as, I won't say it's completely unimportant because I still think that offensive versatility matters, but it's lessened. So I think they found the type of player at, at as a primary that they needed to, if they weren't going to have Sabonis out there anymore, it is, it is like I put at the end, it is a little bit of a cruel cool twist that the exact point guard who could have, you know, that the Pacers have not had this whole time. If you go down the line from Sabonis being here, that really could have allowed him to go to town on the short roll is now playing on his team while he gets moved to the other. But um, yeah, yeah, very interesting from Tyrese Halliburton.
0: Yeah, um, I am very uh, – I'm just so excited to watch him play because uh, he is an incredibly fun player to watch. And I think, too um, – I mean, I don't. did you see the interview that James Boyd had with him?
1: I didn't get to watch all of it yet. Oh, okay.
0: Well, um, I mean, he just is uh, an incredibly caring person. Like, he's very excited to be here. He was pretty gutted to, to have to leave Sacramento and get traded. Um, he's a special – Special player to have on the roster. So I'm I'm really excited to see him grow and develop here. Um, you want to talk about the defense for a second? Because so I do think that's something that factors in. You know, we've talked about uh, as I as I viciously made you power rank what the team needed. Um, defense was up there and Tyrese right now, like he's listed at 185 and that feels generous at times, like he really can get bullied at the point of attack, mm. but he's a very impactful off ball defender. Um, like he's not, he's not perfect, but I think he he really does a good job of digging and stunting at the nails. Um, I love what is similar to Chris Duarte with like late contests, like roaming over and help when a shot is about to go up, he'll go over and try and tip the ball. I think he was a little bit better defensively last year and hasn't been quite the same this year. Part of that is the Kings defense has been abysmal this year, but, um, as they were last year, honestly, but, um, but I do think he has the tools to become a a neutral or above defender, but it's definitely going to be a lot about getting stronger at the point of attack too.
1: Yeah, I agree with all that. I don't think I would describe him. And I think that the metaphor I used was like, you know, the best point of attack defenders are going to look like running water, flowing over a screen. And I don't really think that fits him. I think there is some overlap and not in a bad way between how you would describe him as a defender with Chris Duarte. So then it becomes, um, we know that Brogdon is not, very well equipped to defending speeding guards at the point of attack either. So if they do go guard with a three guard lineup like that, what I imagine is probably going to happen because of what we have seen from Chris Duarte in terms of um, over the last month or so, they've really kind of unleashed him to do some full court pressure that he would probably be the person defending on ball. They, they did that even in lineups earlier in the year when, when Karis Levert and Brogdon and he all started where, you know, they would put him on Kemba and put uh, Levert on, Uh, RJ Barrett and Brogdon on Evan Fournier my guess is that's probably what arrangement they would go with and still continue on with the switching that they've been doing which I think overall they still just need to improve as a switching team because I don't think a lot of their execution of that has been very good but my guess is that's what they'll do and then that becomes a question of how does that affect Chris throughout games if he's constantly you know needing to pressure the ball in that type of manner. Um, but they're going to have Miles back behind them in the paint again, eventually once he's healthy to, to protect the rim. I mean, I will say that some of the issues that they've had defensively have gone back since December 1st, even when Miles was healthy. And I just think, um, I think it, it's kind of a battle between the two, because I know as a coaching staff and the NBA as a whole, there's a lot more scheme versatility being shown and not to the extent of what Bjorken was doing, but wanting to be able to show players multiple pick and roll coverages and i think that was part of it but i also think part of it was you know they have multiple bigs on the roster who all need to play a different scheme if miles is there you can probably set into more of a base coverage and hopefully some of that helps but um the roster is a little bit awkward in terms of <laughs>
0: that's one which, way to which, put it Yeah, which
1: which we'll get into that a little bit later but um even just aside from the defense one other thing And not that it's a negative, but an improvement area that I think stands out quite a bit with Tyrese that he's going to need to work on is is getting deeper off of ball screens.
0: Yes, definitely. He gathers
1: or picks up so early and then jump passes instead of actually forcing the defense to commit to him, Mm -hmm. which is why I had that clip in the article where he actually pushed past the pocket pass area and got clear to the basket because, you know, his rim pressure isn't really there. Like some of it's just not having juice on drives, but it's also that he's just not forcing the defense to to completely commit. And that's not gonna necessarily force guys to to rotate over, which is why it is important that he's good at at some of the hesitations and the pass fakes that he used to kind of shift, help defenders. But I think that's something that he's gonna have to grow in because if you look at this roster as a whole, which this is a topic we can jump into now, which again, I mean, the end of this season is not, you know, I don't want to say the word tanking because I know how Herb Simon feels about it, but you know, it's not about getting wins right now. It's about developing guys and seeing what they have moving into the summer and next year. But even if you look at it when they're healthy, like how many players do they have? Like, I'll just ask you this off top. Who's getting to the rim on this roster?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great freaking question. Um, No one like. I I mean, Chris might get there. I don't think he's going to finish because that's been an issue for him, just in terms of figure, you know, finishing through contact. Um, especially if it's, you know, I mean, we've talked about that too. If he's coming off of a second side action or flowing into an action, he's a lot more likely to finish at the rim. Uh, I mean, Dwayne will put pressure on the rim again. Finishing uh, a different story. I mean, it depends. Does Malcolm play, and what what does that look like with him back? Um, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. There's not really a lot going on there in terms of putting pressure on the rim. And I think, you know, in terms of mentioning Tyrese uh, he is like, you mentioned, like putting pressure on the rim is just not a thing from him right now. And not that he can't, like, I I do think um, like his efficiency is, is, is frankly incredible, especially on floaters. Like he is one of the best uh, at at taking and making floaters at a high rate in the NBA. But um, you have to do it at such a high level consistently to really impact the defense. And I do think like, especially like we've seen with the Cavs this year with Darius Garland and um, their plethora of lob threats. I think there are ways where you can really pressure the rim without entirely getting there, but that requires Darius Garland shooting like 52% from mid range, which is just frankly unsustainable for most players in the NBA. And I think it'll be interesting to see, like you mentioned, can, can Halliburton start to find a better, uh a, a, a more level playing field between um how do you put it? Between, you know, having that efficiency and finding more ways to put pressure on the rim. But that's part of what being a young player is about. Like this right. is a second year in the NBA. So yeah. um, but I agree, like that's gonna be a huge thing for them moving forward. Like, I, I think you can envision, like, okay, TJ Warren is somebody, you know, cutting and, and moving off the ball, who is, I guess, I mean, he, in terms of like, you know, coming off screens towards the rim, there's pressure there, but I mean, he's not somebody who's dribbling into the rim either. He, he likes to finish in, in, in the in-between area. So that's going to be a big focus for the team, uh, you know, around the draft and, and at the draft too, or I, at least I should hope it's going to be a focus because they're going to need it.
1: Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't necessarily know what their plans are for Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, there was a lot of reports out there and who knows what to take from it, but that, you know, that they might consider moving Brogdon when the season is over. And there was ideas that they were looking into offers for TJ Warren now. Mm -hmm. So um, who knows what the standing is with those two, but I mean, just looking at it, I think they see Halliburton as their point guard of the future. I think that's where he's going to play. So if Brogdon's there and he's off ball, there could still be a lot of value in him doing, you know, more, and it won't be the same, but like in Milwaukee, where he's getting tons of straight line drives off of, you know, spot up opportunities, because he's about the only guy who regularly gets to the rim that's left on this roster. Like, if you just look at cleaning the glass, Halliburton's 21st percentile and rim frequency, we know that Buddy Heald basically doesn't dribble. He's 18th percentile in rim frequency. Duarte gets there and is in the 50th percentile, but that's more off of, you know, staggers where he's getting the ball in secondary actions and then going versus you know actually putting the initial bend in the defense from the center spot miles is 19th percentile in rim frequency and maybe some of that shoots up now if he's being involved more as the screener and rolling to the rim more but that's not necessarily been a huge part of his game to this point um but brogdon uh has a much larger chunk so if he's there that gives you somebody that can at least actually collapse the defense all the way to the rim but I guess they're just going to be looking at it as I suspect that we're going to be seeing a lot of guys standing in their perfect spots around the outside of the arc with five out. And you're just going to be hopeful that, you know, people are going to be able to drive with more space in that setting and be able to get to the basket, but they don't exactly have a lot of guys who can do that at the current moment. I mean, they also have Lance, but I don't know exactly where his role is going to be. Again, if, if Brogdon and McConnell are healthy, I don't exactly know where he plays at. So I think that the rim pressure and the rim frequency, I mean, you no longer have Sabonis, who is doing all that with interior gravity anymore. He was their main source of that, and why they've been as high as they have been and, and rim touches, I mean, paint touches and rim frequency over the last several months. So um, that's going to need to come more from the guards, and that's something that they're going to have to grow. And that was something that really popped as soon as I saw the completion of everything that they had done at the trade deadline. But, um, where else are you at? Let's let's well, let's move on to the other trade of the day that happened yesterday. Why don't we do that? So, the Pacers ended up moving Torrey Craig back to the Phoenix Suns, where you know there's no photoshops available of a Torrey Craig in a Suns <laughs> uniform that's that's not out there, it's not a thing. But, um, get back Jalen Smith, who was the 10th overall pick in the 2020 draft, as well as a uh, Phoenix's second round pick, I believe, this year. Yeah. So, what what was your reactions to that trade when you saw that one come down right before the deadline?
0: um i mean i guess one way you can look at it just from like an asset accumulation standpoint tory craig signed here as a free agent you get back a second round pick and a prospect so that's cool good move um but then you look at jalen smith and this is somebody i wanted to write on it last night i was very tired <laughs> like I, I messaged you, I was like i'm gonna write on jalen smith and then i uh i sat down on my computer i was like wow i'm tired because it's been a long day yesterday so i'll write about him this weekend but um He is pretty strictly a five to me right now. Uh, I think, you know, that's been part of the issue for him in Phoenix. I would imagine they drafted him with the idea of him being more of a four. And that really has not played out. Um, And we can talk a little bit more about the why. But that just makes things a little bit awkward and, and interesting for the rest of this year with, okay miles is theoretically supposed to come back within the you know sometime in march uh, or early march i think was was the last report um but then okay ijax is is returning from injury pretty soon um goga is is still here um and then you add in another guy who really is pretty solely a five and i guess you can maybe try and steal some minutes with him at the four but you know, that would have made a lot more sense with him alongside Domas. Like, I think I look at, you know, if him and Miles or him and Ijax or him and, and Goger sharing the front court, like that is, um, is going to be a little bit rough off. I mean, on both ends, frankly, but um, I'm not trying to just completely slander Jalen Smith, but it was made even more awkward when I think it was Jake Fisher reported that um, the Pacers were, were still looking to move Jalen Smith, you know, all the way up to the deadline. So, it's just kind of an awkward start for him automatically coming in. And also too, I mean, there's the awkwardness of like the Pacers can, what is it? I think they can only offer him like a one-year deal when he's a free agent this year or something like that. Well,
1: the Suns, the Suns already declined his option, which means that if he does come to the Pacers and let's pretend he plays and he pops, they can't offer him more in free agency. He'll be an unrestricted free agent. They can't offer him more in free agency Mm -hmm. than the amount of that option. So, it puts them in somewhat of a conundrum. Like, I don't know how robust his market will be and how much playing time he would get, but it's one of two things. He'll so either turn the four, I think it's about 4.3 or 4.6. I can't remember. That'll either just be an expiring contract or it'll be like, you know, what happened with Solomon Hill, where they declined his option. And then he went off in that series against the Raptors and, um, they threw the bag at him and then the Pacers, obviously, I mean, it was a good thing that they didn't match that contract anyways, but they weren't going to be able to retain him when he had those minutes because another team outbid them. So um, it is a little bit sticky there. I'm with you. Um, when I saw that came in, I was like, oh, you know, they're probably going for, you know, they got at least a second round pick for Torrey that Tori doesn't really fit the timeline of the team. And then I saw Jalen Smith, and then I saw that Jake Fisher said that they were looking that they could still potentially flip him, and I think that Denver had been registering some interest there. But um, I have watched some Sun games, Suns games recently, and a few of them stood out for different reasons. I don't. I think he's a center. I mean, in the minutes they had about a nine to eleven game stretch toward the back end of December in the middle of January where either one of McGee eight Crowder were out and that really allowed him to get playing time and show what he could do at the five spot. I mean, even the game that the Pacers played against him, he had like 14 rebounds. I think that he defends and rebounds better at the five than at the four. Um, and then, I mean, here's just a quote from Monty Williams during that stretch. We always compared him to a Jeremy Grant type player, to be honest with you. I was off on that. I think he's probably best served playing the five position.
0: (laughs) Oh man, that is a uh, some casual shade on accident um, from like the nicest guy in the NBA too. Yeah, I um, was
1: off on that, but I mean, <laughs> you can see that I looked up the numbers. So Jesus with him at the four, Christ. with him at the four, which would mean that either one of Biombo, McGee, um, Aiden, and I, I think I threw in uh, Crowder in there as well. Mm. That they've been outscored in those minutes, which is pretty hard to do with how good the Suns have been this year. Yeah, And he's six of 29 in spot-up situations. And it feels like a lot of times when he's in there at the four, which isn't a ton of minutes because he obviously has only played in 29 games and all this in total this year, that it's a lot of him just standing in the corner and not fully knowing what to do, like especially against opponents. And I don't know how you felt, but like just in general, not even at the four, but at the five as well. Like I've seen some possessions, like two stood out, really uh kind of egregiously to me they were playing the timberwolves the timberwolves were in a zone and he like screened the top of it and then devin booker had the ball on the wing and he used a nod as in like hey come screen for me over here on the wing i'm gonna attack and he had cleared out and then he had to run over there like he just had no idea what he was supposed to be doing in that setting until he finally came over and screened for devin booker and then i don't know did you watch the game when the heat really dismantled phoenix
0: Uh, i'm trying to remember which game that was Um,
1: It was, it was a while ago, but the heat played a lot of zone. And I think, I think that it was, it might've been an early game for Phoenix. I don't know if it was on the second night of a back-to-back or not, but he was at the four for a stretch in the first half of that game and was playing with JaVale McGee. And I remember thinking at the time, like, yeah, he's probably not a four because the heat were playing a two, three again, and he's in the corner and which means Duncan Robinson was responsible for basically checking him in that area of the floor. He got the ball, took a dribble, took two steps. It was an uncalled travel and just had no idea what to do with Duncan Robinson guarding him to do something off the catch. Um, And then he had some issues. Like I don't think you want him guarding threes on the perimeter at all. Like I think that he's shown some flashes defending at the five, like by comparison during that stretch when those guys were out, when they played the Hornets, like he looked like an NBA player. Like, for sure. Like, he had an amazing dunk in that game. Um, I think he can do some stuff as the roll man. His his hands need to get a little bit better, I think, in terms oh, of yeah. catching. But um, the screening, it's always a little bit hard when you take somebody out of the Phoenix setting because Chris Paul is so good. Like, I think mm-hmm. he's going to make so many role men look good. And, and especially – He made
0: – Bismack um, Biyombo was yeah. making short roll passes. <laughs> like yes,
1: yes, Exactly. 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 But so, you know, you take Chris Paul away and not that Tyrese Halliburton isn't good at running pick and roll, but you know, Chris Paul is Chris Paul. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I think you and I are on the same page that the general thought here is that you get Jalen Smith and you add him to this group and this roster. Now they traded Sabonis and somehow now have more guys who qualify as centers than before the trade deadline started. Like, I just feel like this roster is a little bit awkward. And again, I know it's not about winning right now, but like, if you just look at the depth chart. Like, let's just imagine people are healthy. Like, I'm assuming your What is starting, the wing? Yeah. It, it, yeah, I mean, we can get into that next. But just looking at the bigs, like, I'm assuming if everybody's healthy, you're probably looking at TJ Warren maybe at the four with Miles. Like, maybe Halliburton, Brogdon, Duarte, Warren, Miles. Um, maybe they don't want to go three guard and TJ's at the three. But if TJ's at the three, like, who is your starting four? Like, unless they're just automatically thinking that's going to be Ajax. Um, but I mean, look, you have Ijax, if Goga's your backup five, even if Ijax is your starting four and Goga's your backup five, then you also have, Terry Taylor um I don't know where Jalen Smith is playing and that's not even counting like I mean I know both of us are on the same page at this I don't want to see Tristan Thompson playing a minute of basketball unless there's like a new variant of COVID that runs through the NBA and the Pacers have a bunch of guys out and he needs to play that that's the only scenario where I want to see him playing minutes
0: yeah no I agree I think if Tristan Thompson plays a minute for the Pacers that would be a mistake um for him and for the team I I just it would not make much sense um one last thing I do want to hit on with Jalen. Like, um, I do think he is an intriguing prospect. So we're yeah. not trying to be unfair to him. It's just like, I mean, he's a legit re like his rebounding is actually really good. Yes, yeah. Very good rebounder. Uh, which I think, you know, you would you would look at him just I mean, his nickname is Sticks for a reason, but um, like he does not look like somebody who would be an awesome rebounder, but he has a very good nose with the ball, second jump's good. Um, I think a lot of the issue is just if his shot isn't falling and more importantly too, if he's not taking a shot, like he is, he will pass out of his shot. Um, he's not the most confident shooter, which is a problem. Like I think Phoenix saw some intrigue there. Like the most, when he looked most intriguing was when he would take three or four threes a game. And that didn't happen often, but um, there's stuff there. It's just, it's going to take some real time before it's, it's there. And I think he could really benefit from the G league too. Um, but we'll see on that. Um,
1: I just don't know where his minutes are going to come from.
0: Exactly. I mean, like, okay, so is Goga going down to the G league? What is, what is that doing for Goga is, I mean, I mean, I guess Goga just needs playing time in general, but, um, or I, I feel like he's just at the point where if he doesn't, if he sinks or swims in the NBA, I think that's kind of where we're at with him. I mean, I'm not trying to be harsh, but, he really well, does look so rough. I'm let's, sorry.
1: let's let's branch off of that for yeah. a second because I admit that when this trade came down, I spent the entire afternoon and evening that night wanting to consolidate my thoughts and write about Tyrese Halbert. So I did not watch that Hawks game in real time where the Pacers only had eight games available. I watched that yesterday while I was waiting to see what was going to happen with the trade deadline. And like I'm not saying I had high expectations when a team loses you know, three guys and are – are that depleted, but oh, Goga. Yeah. Did you, did you watch that game?
0: I'll be completely honest. I haven't watched it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I
1: mean, it, it felt a little bit like a flyover game to be honest, but yeah. I did watch it and he had a lot of struggles. The, the same things being brought up again with the the defense and the taking the ball down to his knees before he goes up. And um, so, I mean, I still want to see him get minutes over the back end yeah. of the season because of what place they're in and see if he can have any development here. But Just the point being that, you know, I do think that Jalen fits better at the five and I don't know how they envision Ijax at the given moment. Maybe they've swung back to seeing what he's going to be doing at the four, but um, between and if TJ Warren, you know, actually plays basketball for the Pacers again, and you also have O'Shea and you also have Terry Taylor, who's been showing some interesting things. Like, I don't think Terry Taylor is a center, but you probably want to find minutes for him at the four. It just feels like they have a log jam. For guys who are the guys who might be able to surge and pop off over the back end of the season, getting to play at the position they actually need to play at. Mm. And I, I mean, you, you lightly mentioned it. We'll just hop on to the next topic. Who are the wings on this roster? Like, and I know that <laughs> yeah. like specific specific player position designations are a bit outdated, but we're gonna go ahead and use it in this setting. Who is a small forward on this roster in the traditional
0: sense? Uh, exactly. Like. Terry Taylor is small forward size. even then he's kind of small for small forward. Uh, OShea is uh, nominally a small forward size, but he does not have small forward skills. Um, like he's gotten better in some of those aspects, but like I think playing him at the three is just not a really great util- utilization of who he is. like maybe if they're playing more zone, okay um, or switching more, I guess. but he's like we've talked about it. he's he kind of needs to work a little bit on his isolation defense. Especially in the post, um, he's great at roaming and using his length. So again, like okay, if you're playing more zone, I guess I get it. But he's really not a three. Like even Tori was playing the three a lot, and he was kind of, I mean, he was I guess the best three on the roster other than Justin Holiday, who again, Justin Holiday, more of a two than a three. So it's like there, <laughs> it's exactly. It- it, feels, a, like a, a it
1: feels like a lot of guys are going to have to play out of position because exactly yeah. what you're saying. They used O'Shea to play up a position at times, and it would work okay a few times at the end of games. Like I didn't mind it at the end of the Bulls game when DeRozan mm-hmm. hit the one-legged three, but he wasn't defending at the three. He was defending Vucevic so yeah. that they could switch off onto DeRozan. Um, he was more nominally the three at the other end of the floor, but I looked up, and they're minus – points per 100 and only 164 minutes when at least two of Miles Goga, Turner, or Sabonis were on the floor with O'Shea playing up a position. I mean, theoretically, you could have Lance play down a position to guard, but I think quietly his defense has left quite a bit to be desired. It's been Um, rough. Brogdon can defend threes. That's, you know, that's why Nate Bjorkran used him a lot. There's been times this year, like I said before, um, when Duarte and and Lavert were starting where Brogdon would guard the three so that Duarte would guard on ball. I think that that creates some other issues. And then, um, buddy healed guarding threes. That's pretty yikes. Uh, let's
0: just buddy. yield buddy healed guarding is, is pretty <laughs> yikes. Um, I mean, we didn't, we didn't even talk about him. Uh, I, oh yeah. I mean, the Pacers, there was some, a lot going all over the place. So are, will they, won't they trade him? I think there was some refuting reports, um, I will say, I mean, I wrote about Buddy Heald earlier this season. I I think in some ways uh, playing for the Kings e- exemplified a lot of his warts, or I should say uh, exacerbated a lot of his warts as a player. Like he is legitimately one of the best shooters on planet Earth, off movement, especially off Spain actions, which they loved using him for. Um, he's not really a great playmaker, but he gets some playmaking windows and will make passes, um, I think is a kind way to put it. Like his ball placement's not very good, but – um, like legitimately has incredible gravity as a shooter. But on this roster, like like we're talking about, on a team that already has significant perimeter defense issues, yikes. I know that this was necessary in terms of making the contracts match in a big – I would imagine that part of the reason why Sacramento was so eager to do that deal is because they've been trying to get off of Buddy Hill's contract for a while. Um, I do think there are some interesting things you can do and on a team that – has certainly lacked shooting of any kind. Getting somebody like Buddy Hill is helpful, but um, I, I do think Pacers fans will be a little bit frustrated with some of his uh, his playing style, as I imagine Rick Carlisle will be as well. Um, but, I mean, yeah, where are you at with that?
1: Yeah, Buddy seems like a player that uh, Rick Carlisle will have a love-hate relationship with. Um, Yes, a shooter. Finally, you know, I mean, we've had Chris Paul looking at the Pacers bench and saying they can't effing shoot. So you add Halliburton, you add Heald. I'm sure that at the end of the quarters, we're going to see a lot of Buddy Heald setting ghost screens for Tyrese Halliburton, as the Pacers love to do. Um, without Justin Holiday, somebody has to run all those veer plays. Somebody has to come off the ball towards towards uh, or come. O- they like to bring shooters. What I'm trying to verbalize in this very broken speech that I'm using is they like to use shooters off of pin downs to come back toward the ball, and Buddy can definitely do that. Um, as you were saying, I think that you can use him as the back screener in Spain action. Um, Without Justin, this is a fun stat that I found on Synergy. Without Justin, Buddy Heald has taken more shots off screens this year for the Sacramento Kings, 126 than the entire Pacer team, which is 111, um, taking away what Justin has done. So um, he fills that role. Uh, I think that there is value. I think His three-point percentage has dropped off, but like I always say, I don't really judge shooting and what spacing is by three-point percentage in total.
0: You can watch any Kings game, and he gets guarded like he's Steph, so it's like, yeah, they they care. um,
1: Yeah, they care, and I mean, you have to also look at why that percentage might be depressed. I mean, he Mm -hmm. takes a lot of tough threes. And that's, that's both good and bad. I mean, I think that there are probably be a lot of Kings fans that would tell you that his shot selection drives them crazy. Yeah. Um, he'll take some very early ones where you haven't worked the offense at all. I'm in favor of sometimes using and taking very quick transition threes. Cause I think that it puts defenses on their heels, but I mean, he also ranks sixth in the NBA in three point attempts between 25 and 29 feet per game. Um, he takes, so that stretches the defense in terms of how many extra steps you're going to have to take to close out and just the amount of tension that that puts there. Um, I know that Rick Carlisle values taking deeper threes that showed up in Dallas a lot. Um, I mean, even going back to when Wesley Matthews was there, I remember when the Pacers added Wesley Matthews in the buyout market when he had been playing for Dallas that season and he talked about how much they had worked on extending his range because of how much they valued that. Um, and seeing, you know, Kristaps Porzingis while Rick Carlisle was there taking threes close to 30 feet out. Um, I think there's some benefit to that. So I wasn't completely surprised that they kept him on the roster. And it also might've been that they didn't have avenues for necessarily flipping him now. But I did have one person who's consulted with some MDA teams bring up to me that, you know, if you hold on to his reverse contract with his, you know, value descending there, that depending upon how the Pacers see themselves and whether they're going to be competitive or what they do, if you do hang on to that contract, it could actually be kind of valuable, and the final year to be able to flip that for teams that want to have cap space potentially. So um, he can give you some shooting, some spacing now, and you might be able to flip him later on. So, um, but yeah, I mean, going back to the topic of the defense and, and who's actually going to guard threes on this roster, which has felt like a problem for like two and a half years now. um, He's not helping you in that department either. So it just feels like toward the back end of the stretch, you want to see, what guys can do, but I, I have a lot of questions about how they're going to accomplish that in certain regards.
0: Definitely, and I agree with you too. I think uh, some people were upset that he didn't get flipped again. I, I, I mean, I'm fine with it. Like, like we mentioned, I think he brings stuff that's that's useful. And like you mentioned with the contract too, um, like I think that that's something that down the road, you know, it's good to have somebody who you are able to trade. And it's important too when you're trying to develop guys like having useful NBA players who can fill roles and help keep things going. Like, I think that that is, that is important. So I'm interested to see with that. Um, I guess the next direction I want to go with this too. uh, I mean, how do you feel about the overall direction of the team from, from where we're at with this? Because I think um, like we've hit on a little bit, I thought, and I wrote about this too. I thought, you know, the trading Domas, in some ways, provide a little bit more clarity for the direction where the team wants to go. But then the next trade, like we like we mentioned, the trade the next day, I was kind of like, I am unsure now. It felt like they were headed towards a more definite rebuild. Um, you know, obviously, I know that they they can't trade Malcolm until the offseason. Some reporting came out. Like I know Mike Scotto from from Hoops Hype. I was I was talking with the other day. Um, Mentioned that you know they it's it's kind of not expected is the wrong way to put it, but there have been rumblings around the league that they think you know Malcolm Brogdon will get traded in the offseason, you know, closer to the draft when when his contract is able to be moved. Um, I'm just interested to see what actually does happen with that because um I still think like as much as trading Domas was was huge, like this team still needs a lot of restructuring and figuring things out. And and I hope that they uh they take that approach. It does seem like they will, but just, you know, holding my breath a little bit because they have been reticent to do so before at times. So I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with the, with you know, as we get deeper into the offseason. I mean, as we get into the offseason closer to the draft.
1: Right. So I kind of felt like, yeah, the Sabonis trade was the first step, clearly. But yeah. I don't know that I necessarily have any more clarity on what type of team they're trying to be. And I don't mean from an identity standpoint. I mean, from how competitive that they're gearing up and hoping to be um until we know what they're doing with malcolm brogdon and tj warren which isn't going to happen until the end of the year um i think that that's going to be a little bit challenging to figure out because if if they are indeed like i can see from the rim frequency standpoint that we just pointed out if you're trying to be competitive i think that there's value in still having malcolm brogdon on the team now you do have to weigh that against um, I don't like being the person to bring this up cause I don't really blame players for the fact that this is the reality, but I do think you have to weigh his injury history and how many, and his actual availability they need to be able to have guys that have been out on the court, be able to have their best players available and in the lineup. And that just hasn't happened for the last two years with the current cast of, of players that they have before they, you know, did this shakeup, which I mean, Sabonis has probably been about the most durable, but, um, and then what exactly TJ Warren's doing, because if they do think that they're going to move on from them, it was a little bit curious and I'm probably going to get pushback from this, but it was a little bit curious to me that they didn't go ahead and move miles as well. Um, uh, unless yeah, they're um... just, I mean, you can go ahead and branch off with that, but it was a little bit curious to me if, if, if they don't plan on retaining Malcolm Brogdon and they see Chris Duarte and Tyrese Halliburton as their backcourt of the future with, you know, spacing and shooting and them both fitting the way that Rick Carlisle wants to play. And they don't potentially plan on retaining TJ Warren, which again, this is just, you know, going off of what various reports are, the Pacers may completely say, well, that's not our plan. We're hoping to do X. Um, Given like, especially like some of the stuff that was being floated as potential packages yesterday for Jakob Pertl, I was a little surprised that the Pacers didn't get in on that and go the rest of the way with the rebuild. If they don't plan on keeping some of these other guys around. And then the other question is like, and I don't already want to get into this because I would need to parse it through a lot more, but even if they do, like, depending upon what, I mean, obviously they're going to have a top five pick, somebody that they're going to draft that gets thrown in there, but like what's the ceiling of that necessarily. So um, I don't know. What, what were your thoughts on that particular aspect of it?
0: I was pretty, um, I mean, I know a lot of people had mentioned like, okay, well, you know, now that, um, Domas is traded like miles content to be in Indiana. And I guess I, I get that because as much, I mean, we've talked about this. A lot of everything's been veiled more as like, oh, he just wanted to roll clarity. I think it's been pretty clear. He just wants to be the sole center, which I can't necessarily fault him for. Um, we've talked about that, but I just, I don't want to say that I don't care, but what is the point of keeping the team together in the slightest? Like, yes, you've moved Domas, but you still have like, pretty much the rest of the team is there. Like, okay, you traded Domas and Torrey Craig. Great. Uh, what is the direction? Like, where are you going here? I think um, – I mean, my kind of guess around this was like, okay, maybe they're – like, his his trade stock really has taken a hit because of being out with injury. Maybe they want him to to stick around, show what he can do as a solo center. Maybe his trade value goes back up and they move him around the draft. If they don't – I I mean, like – I mean, we've been very open about how we feel about Miles as a player. He's fantastic. Like when he is healthy, when he is locked in, when he's playing at his best, he's a very good NBA player. Like his defense, which, I mean, we both agree that it's taken a step back this year, but when he is playing at his best defensively, he's one of the, the best room protectors and defensive presences in the NBA. That hasn't been him this year. I think if you can envision him, maybe taking a step forward, which I do, uh, I don't know if I entirely see that. Um, just because Domas is gone, maybe it does happen. But, um, I, I mean, I guess you can squint and say, like, yeah, he's only 25, but I think you could have said the exact same thing about about Domas. Like, I don't know. To me, I just think it's, it's very clear that it was time to move on from this version of the team. And, um, like, I don't know. I would have really loved to see them make a move for somebody that they've been linked to a lot. Um, and who Miles has been linked to a lot. Okay, can you move on for P.J. Washington? Like, can you make a deal with with Charlotte where you – okay, maybe you take back Mason Plumlee and P.J. Washington and um, maybe there's no draft compensation, but P.J. Washington is a younger player who, who fits what the team is maybe doing moving forward and has some upside still. Like, um, I just – I would be a little bit um, – concern is definitely the wrong way to put it, but I agree with you. Like, okay – I like Tyrese a lot. I don't think that he necessarily is giving you a higher ceiling than what having, you know, Domas playing at his level does, especially for next year or moving forward from there.
1: Yeah. I mean, just on the mile standpoint with Tyrese, like he will have never played with somebody who has that type of feel at the point guard position Yeah, since he's been in the NBA. I mean, looking at, you know, Darren Collison, Corey Joseph, uh, I mean, I I don't want this to sound like I'm completely downplaying Brogdon, but Tyrese is a better playmaker than Brogdon. Um, Certainly better at it than Karis LeVert in terms of overall, you know, actual willingness to do it. Um, So there's that. And he also is going to have a lot more spacing. Like just by comparison, if you look at, you know, Sabonis around him had miles shooting 33 percent from three. And with like a 31% contest rate out there around him at the four spot and Karras who people are ducking under against and has a shaky overall jumper and Brogdon whose three point percentage has plummeted by like eight, nine percentage points this year. And you know, you can go down the line, no more Doug McDermott, Justin is the only movement shooter. Like there's just not been spacing. There wasn't spacing around Sabonis all year. Now you look at it from miles's perspective, it's going to be, you know, Halliburton, Duarte, Brogdon, Warren, maybe if Brogdon's healthy from the Achilles injury and he starts shooting the ball better in spot-up opportunities, that's going to be a lot more spacing on the roll than what Sabonis has had. And my guess is what how, how defenses will orient around that is where you know Sabonis is, is creating inverse gravity. When he goes to the basket, that's sucking people in. And unfortunately for the Pacers, they didn't have the shooters to take advantage of that. My guess now is what teams will do is they will probably stay home on the shooters similar to what Houston did when miles was at the five and in part that was just because Christian Wood quite possibly in that game played the worst defense that I've seen a five play all year, but their taggers were also staying home. They were blitzing Levert and letting miles go to the basket. My guess is he will see more of that. So if he's going to pop at the five, this is the time for him to do it. Um, if he comes back from the foot injury and can go and they can see what he can do in that sense. I mean, the world's kind of your oyster, I guess if he comes back and, pops, maybe he recuperates some of his trade value and you can make that trade then. But I mean, I'm kind of with you in a sense that, I mean, just an offer that was put out there that I saw floated for Jakob Pertl was PJ Washington, Kai Jones, and a first from Charlotte. So I was, you know, I'm not saying I necessarily totally would have done that, but it seems like there was being offers made for centers that deal didn't go through. So maybe Charlotte balked at that type of value, but it just becomes a question of, you know, are you going to be getting enough time for other guys? And then, you know, maybe I mean, anything could happen. I feel like they might, you know, apparently it was reported that miles wanted an extension, even if he was traded. So, I mean, that's a possibility for him this summer, but um, it feels like they're in a standpoint where, you know, with Duarte and Halliburton, that like you see the future there, you see what that could be, but it could take some time and whether they needed to take this all a step back further really depends on what they're going to do with Brogdon and Warren and the rest of, um, the picks that they have, but, um, I was a little bit puzzled by that. And I also do want to say that, like, I hope that it doesn't get overly built up that he's, you know, like for his sake and everyone's sake that like, well, he's playing at the five, like he should be doing all this, that, or the other. Now it's like, okay, first of all, this isn't the first time he's played at the five, like he played at the five before Sabonis was ever traded to the Pacers. When Sabonis got traded to the Pacers, he started at the five with Sabonis coming off the bench. He's played playoff series since Sabonis has been here as the main starting five. I mean, Domas wasn't starting when they played the Boston Celtics in the playoffs. Miles was when they played the Miami Heat. Domas wasn't even there. So, and this year, like he plays minutes at the five every game. Like, I I feel like it's being billed, like even nationally, like, well, he's finally going to get a chance to play center i'm like i do agree with you that he's finally going to get the chance to do it with a more uh point guard who can better manipulate uh defenses that part is true and there is going to be more spacing so he has much better opportunity to do it but it's not the first time that he's done it so um for like i said for his sake and the amount of pressure that people are probably going to put on him for what his scoring and other stuff should be and because like i don't know that that overall narrative has gotten very tired and i i suspect like and i don't want this to sound dismissive but like for as fast as he went from like putting bat signals over crypto.com arena to yesterday asking people like where high school games could high school basketball games in indiana are that he could go to i expect his game to perk up from where it was before the injury where he was like really trying to assert himself in weird spots and his defense was disengaged for several games there. And if the foot was limiting him and that's why he had misfired on like 20 of his last 21 threes, which is entirely possible if you're stepping into it and your foot's bothering you, maybe that's what was going on, but I'll just say, I expect him to perk up now that the role clarity is there for him.
0: Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. Um, And again, I, I don't want to like, I think having, If you have Miles playing like Miles is capable of and just being Miles, which was saying Miles a lot, I think it was Miles to the third. But um, like that is a very good NBA player who you want on your team. But again, it's just more like, okay, what's happening around this? I'm really interested to see what happens with the draft, um, because I mean, this team is all but guaranteed into it. I shouldn't even say that. All They are most likely going to have a top five pick in the NBA draft. I don't want to be slandered just for saying guaranteed, and they, they end up with like the sixth pick or something. But um, I don't want to say that I'm weary, but I just am very hesitant that this team is going to uh, um, not fully commit to getting the most out of a youth movement. Um I mean, yeah. do you, like, I, that's something that I'm very interested to see. Because- no, I,
1: I totally agree with that because like what you just said, like Brogdon and Warren and Miles are all very useful and very good players. Like nobody's denying that. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, if there aren't going to be other opportunities to really expand what they can do, then are you going to be willing to actually move on and go fully into, like I'm not suggesting the process necessarily. Like I'm not suggesting that deep, but Is it going to maximize what you can do with with Halliburton and Duarte and Ajax's window? Um, And that's something to look at because, I mean, they did get picks like we know that they have other stuff that they can do. And I mean, they have a ton of possibilities they could use this summer if they do want to try to stay competitive or whatever they're going to want to do. Um, We know that they have cap space now because they had Ricky Rubio's. uh, expiring contracts. I mean, Jalen Smith's contract could be an expiring if, you know, he doesn't pop and, or, you know, if he does and some team outbids them, um, they have their own pick, which you're saying could be very high. And the Cleveland pick, which is probably going to be mid twenties and the Houston second rounder, which will probably be in the upper thirties as well as Phoenix's second. So that's a lot of draft capital this year, but I did have some draft, uh, experts in armchair analysis reach out and tell me that like the mid tier of where that Cleveland and Houston pick is going to come is, is not particularly deep in this draft. So it is true. Um,
0: yeah,
1: to be a little bit hesitant on that front in terms of what they're going to get um, in youth, but I mean, if they use those picks, then it's going to be an even more youthful roster. And then it just becomes like, do you need what's to happening? cash in those? Yeah. Yeah. What's happening here. Cause like I said with you, I'm, I, I'm along those same lines, like right now where the roster's at, it feels fairly awkward and I don't know that I have any more sense of what direction they want to go in, but, um, that'll be up for them to answer. Kevin yeah. Pritchard, come on the pod.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I'm sure he'll be very open to tell us what he, he plans to, to do and not do. Um, yeah. I mean, and again, I'm not trying to be unfair too. It's just like, I like Chris a lot. Um, but I, 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 I have asked this, you know, multiple times myself. Is that draft pick different if they know how this year is going to go? Like, I think that there's a very real case that it is is different in that way. Um, and I just hope that they know what they want to do before the draft happens. Because, okay, yes, you have a high pick. Does that allow you to like? I mean, they they have more flexibility to make a move. I'm just interested to see what it will be. Um, what else do you want to hit on from here?
1: Um I think we could lightly touch on like the way that that these first early steps of what they're doing mirror like do you see the Indiana Mavericks here
0: a little bit I kind of get that um I will <laughs> like I'm <laughs> not
1: saying that this is Luca and whatever like I'm not yeah, putting yeah, it yeah. on that level, but just the idea that um. You know, I think over the last two coaching hires, and we've talked about it many times, but Nate Bjorken came to coach the Indiana Raptors. Um, I didn't feel that he was coaching to that roster. He was coaching the roster he wanted. And to be frank, I think at the beginning of the season, that's what Rick Carlisle was doing as well. And yeah. now in retrospect, like they did make adjustments, but now I'm kind of questioning, like, did you only make those because – um you wanted to be able to potentially trade people and that was what was going to maximize them as individuals for you to be able to do that um because now I mean they needed to get shooting regardless whether they kept Sabonis or Miles they needed to get shooting and I don't even really think it was a choice between Sabonis and Miles I think it was a choice of Tyrese Halliburton was available to us and that's what player it took to get it but um it feels very much like you know the five out direction that they're going in and that they've now molded The roster to Rick Carlisle, which is kind of an interesting thing because I felt and I wrote this so I guess I can be called wrong for yet another thing but over the summer that I never had the impression when I watched him coach in Dallas that he was a system coach like we know that he likes play calling but You could see him adapt things to the personnel that he had. And he even talked about that over the summer, like, you know, figuring out what works for what players we have. And now it feels like it's almost been kind of a reverse of that, where they're finding players that work for what he does. Like, is that what dynamic you're sensing here?
0: 100%. Like, I I don't think that's even questionable. Um, Like if they really, I don't want to say that, um, like, I mean, exactly like you're mentioning the the way that Domas was used for the first two, two, three months of the season was weird. Like it just was very clearly not a, a good utilization of him. Um, and it's really felt like at times that they've kind of tried to box themselves into doing five out stuff. And I I think you, know, you and I have hit on this a bunch. Just because you're playing five out doesn't mean that the defense gives a shit that you're five out. So like, um, you know, seeing that dynamic was really weird. Um especially like given, like you mentioned, like Rick's pedigree coming in was a guy who was going to adapt to to things. And that just didn't really seem like the case until later on in the season. And and exactly like you're saying, it kind of brings up questions like, okay, was, why was that change made? Was it because of that? Or like, you know, um, it is definitely interesting to think about and look at. And I guess I would ask you too. I mean, how do you feel if if the idea is just going to be a bunch of spread out high pick and roll with, with Tyrese, where are you at with that? Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't really put you on the spot like that, but I'm just like, okay, if that's your vision, shit. I don't know.
1: Um, uh, I think that it will go back to. I mean, he's like I said, the improvement area that we mentioned earlier, and it's not me trying to downgrade Tyrese Halliburton at all. I think he's a very good player. Um, really excited to see his potential and everything he does mm-hmm. with the Pacers, but I think he's gonna have to work at getting deeper and how he's manipulating some of that, because I mean, it's interesting because as much as people talk about like putting miles more involved in the screening action and that that's, you know, running pick and pop and this and that, like if you look at his numbers over the last several years, he shot the ball better in spot up situations than he has out of the pick and pop. Um, If you look at synergy this year, he shot 29.3% in the pick and pop. When I wrote my article before Bjorken was hired last year, it was the same thing. Like he had shot around, Um, 30 and then it was much higher when he was in spot up situations catching the ball there or like you know this year I'm I'm as happy to see his development where he's taking more step in threes and transition that are also going to be categorized as spot up over opportunities over pick and pop opportunities so it kind of comes down to there like the difference being that in general and this isn't just miles like unless you're Carl Anthony Towns or Nikola Jokic a lot of teams aren't going to go out there and defend the five in spread pick and roll settings like obviously we know that there's benefits to playing five out and doing drive and kick and, and forcing teams into rotation and having to guard in that type of way that's why so many NBA teams have gone to it but I think that there will probably be the idea that Tyrese will be drawing a lot of the attention similar to what we saw in that Miami series and Miles will probably be either you know slipping to the basket or out on the perimeter and if he hits those shots and he continues to improve on the roll then that's probably okay but like I said his contest rate right now is about 31 percent um and that dipped off in part because I think opponents as the season went on when after he'd started hot just you know and it's different when you're in the five because versus the four where you might be taking steps away from him off ball you know maybe it's somebody in a drop or or whatever pressure they're putting on Tyrese whether they're blitzing him or however they're going to defend the pick and pop but Just generally speaking, in my opinion on offense, um, I like offensive versatility. I like being able to run lots of different types of offense, whether you're incorporating Princeton elements and triangle elements in addition to five out. Sometimes the dunker spot does have value. Not all the time. I don't want to see Ben Simmons standing there 100 percent of the time, but. Um, you could even see that in the OKC game when they did have Terry Taylor in the dunker spot, how that did open up some stuff for Karis LeVert with a bigger driving gap to get into. So um, I think that when you get into the playoffs, it still matters to have added dimension and what you're going to be doing. And if the Pacers were a playoff team, I think that there is stuff that Sabonis adds in that uh, department that isn't going to be available to them anymore. But I think that this is more about growing and. Um, wanting to add shooters. But if you look at what they did with Dallas and how they used Kristaps Porzingis, I suspect that's probably a lot of what they're going to be doing is mostly plays starting with all five players outside the arc. And, and like I said, like how boot are started out in Milwaukee as well with five guys dotting around. So um, that's that that's what I expect to see. And I also we'll be very curious when this comes back and everybody's back in how much more play calling they're doing. Cause I bet they go back to a lot more play calling and less of the random and part because they have young guys that are going to need some guidance, but also because they don't have the same options to be doing that anymore. I think okay. that they'll still value it because that's where the NBA is going, but I bet we'll see Rick Carlisle standing on the sidelines and calling a lot of plays to involve people. Cause they just, I mean, there's a difference between um, I mean, and, and we know that miles will be more involved clearly as the screener was in he's at solo five but i mean he was struggling to find his own usage in some of that random system so um we'll see but i just felt like you know this is a very carlisle roster now and that's i'm not saying that's a bad thing it just feels like um it's shaped around what he wants to do rather than acquiring players that he will then you know coach up and that my guess is that there will be a lot more play calling again and a lot more five out
0: yeah and we'll see how impactful that is um so i i don't disagree at all i think a lot of this is being shaped in that direction um so
1: and we know that the system works i mean they they don't have luka doncic but you know 2 years ago i think they scored like 118 points per 100 and that and was the top good. Yeah. <laughs> that was their top offense so and i think that you know he's very very smart in the way that uh they use geometry and what they do with players on the floor it just becomes a question of and and they're not even a place to really ask this question so I'm not sure how much it matters but I do think that when uh you want to be in a playoff setting that being able to do more types of things offensively uh, gives you more options but that's not really an immediate issue for them right now so
0: definitely well I think that just about wraps up for us did you have anything else you want to hit on
1: Oh, I think we covered all the new players, covered the reaction to the trade, covered how the roster is shaping into a new direction. Mm, ready to see these new guys play tonight in the game where Harris is going to be back playing against the Pacers, which should be weird.
0: Yeah, it's going to be very weird. Um, I'm, I'm I'm, excited. I'm, I'm interested. I'm not really sure what to make of it, but it, it is going to be happening. So we will be, uh, we will be watching and we will be, we will be preparing. We will be back uh the end of the weekend or on monday to to, to cover it and, and anything else that went on over the weekend so
1: well i actually think it's our two ha questions we're um i think we're at the oh my god, tuesday in is. february so you know we're gonna have new players to cover so that should be a fun monthly summit
0: awesome i'm looking forward to it well caitlin this was fun to everyone listening thank you for listening and most importantly have a good rest of your day